is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Yay! Welcome back. You are listening to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. And yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. As promised, we have a really wonderful show lined up for you today. Um, Our guest is going to be a young man named Simon Curtis. Um, You cannot put Simon Curtis in any one box. This guy is so multi-talented, he ticks off several boxes. Um, and today we're, we're only focusing on two of his various talents um, because he's got new work coming out in two different areas. One is he is a successful singer-songwriter. Um, his songs have been listened to, and trust me, this is a underestimate. I'm sure the number is much higher, but at least still at 50 million times probably many, many, many more than that. Um, his his uh, music is upbeat, pop, really fun, wonderful, um, danceable, super listenable um, material, and, and special. He is releasing three new songs now, one of which called Fairy Boy. Um, yeah, how gay is that? Um, but, (laughs) oh, by the way, he is gay, um, in case you hadn't figured that part out, but, um, Fairy Boy is an excellent song, super fun, and we're going to play that song for you during the show, so stay tuned for that, and if that wasn't enough, um, Simon also, who has already written a book called Boy Robot, um, is coming out with his debut graphic novel called The Witches of Silver Lake. And um, the teaser of that, actually this is only part of the teaser, but the part that I'm going to share with you right now is Elliot Green has had a rough year. His dad died. He had to move across the country. And now he's about to start high school in one of L.A.'s most prestigious private schools where his mom has accepted the position of vice principal. He's quickly taken in by the school's outcasts, the scholarship kids, the queer kids, and the ones who just really don't fit in with the glossy trust fund babies. They quickly let him in on their little secret. They are witches. And uh, just in time for Halloween, this is going to be great. Um, So we've got Simon waiting in the wings. can't wait to talk to him. First up, though, is my co-host, uh, Brody Levesque. Brody is also the uh, executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. And there are a lot of breaking stories there today. So Brody is going to give us a little bit of a heads up as to what is going on in the world. Hey, Brody, how's it going? Hey, Rob, and hi to all of our very loyal Listeners, thank you so much, uh, and welcome back, our friends on uh, Apple Podcast. So it has been an absolute uproar in Los Angeles in a crisis of governance that has basically taken over the city council and the upper echelon of the city's leadership and provoked criticism uh, from even President Joe Biden. 
Um, over the weekend, the Los Angeles Times published an article that detailed uh, the transcripts of an audio recording that had been made the year previously in October. And in a discussion over redistricting and other issues, then City Council President Nuri Martinez, City Council members Kevin De Leon and Gil Cedillo uh, made some really unfortunate, homophobic, and quite frankly, uh, racist comments. And the minute that that broke, uh, the pressure was on. And uh, yesterday, uh, Nuri Martinez, um, who had resigned her presidency of the city council on Monday, and she announced Tuesday she was taking a leave of absence. Yesterday, she resigned her seat. Um, And this was something that Governor Gavin Newsom issued a statement saying, and I'm quoting the governor in part, this is the right move. Again, these comments have no place in our state or in our politics, and we must all model better behavior to live the values that so many of us fight for to protect. Um, The other two councilmen have made no moves to bail yet. So uh, acting uh, City Council President Mitchell Farrell announced today that he's canceling a regularly scheduled council meeting for tomorrow after they had to cancel Wednesday's meeting in the middle of it due to all the public protest and the disruption. Uh, Angelinos are seriously angered by the homophobic and racist comments that were directed. Uh, and what started as some really bad comments directed at one of their fellow council members, Mike Bonin, who's openly out and gay, and he and his husband are the son of a black kid, and that was the source of many of those comments, which were just – they were ugly. Right. They're, they're so fathers, fathers, they're fathers of a black kid. Yeah, they're fathers of a black kid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You had, and, no, you had said they were the sons of – but, yeah, they're, they're the fathers no. of, a, of a black child. And um, this woman was making comments about how – um, the councilman was using his baby as a prop, and she referred to – well, I'm not even going to say what she referred to uh, the child as, who is African-American, um, but she used the most derogatory term, uh, described this wonderful little boy. And, um, yeah. you know, as a gay dad myself, yeah, this, this, is, this is beyond the pale, and it is the type of backstabbing commentary – that um, we all kind of fear is goes on behind our back. And, um, you know, it's one of the things when Prop 8 passed years ago, it was like, okay, half the people in my life are talking behind my back. And in this case, that was the case. And um, it's horrific and good. And all I've got to say about her resignation is, bye, Felicia. Anyway, back to you, Brody. Yeah, I, it was, you know, at this point, the pressure's on for De Leon and Cedillo to step down. And, you know, it's the type of scandal, especially for a progressive city like Los Angeles, uh, that most people are just scratching their heads. Um, uh, <laughs> so we'll move from that. Um, a story that's kind of important because I have interviewed Uh, Some of the kids that were part of the founding of March for Our Lives, Uh, we've actually had uh, one of them on our show as a guest. Um, The survivors of the mass shooting on Valentine's Day in Parkland, Florida, 
back in 2018, got a verdict from the jury today. The jury uh, could not come to a unanimous decision in terms of a capital murder uh, verdict which uh, or sentence. So uh, under Florida law, uh, the shooter uh, will instead receive life without parole. Um, he uh, the, the last three months have been spent uh, in what they call the, the penalty and sentencing phase. Um, this was brought about by the fact that the shooter had actually pled guilty last year. Um, and so uh, for the last three months, um, the jurors have had to sit through uh, some pretty testimony, pretty horrific, uh, you know, exhibits and evidence. Uh, and then uh, they were taken to uh, the crime scene, which was a freshman uh, classroom building, uh, which has been sealed since the shooting. Uh, and they were basically shown the evidence there. And, of course, the building hasn't been touched since the massacre. So that was fairly graphic and upsetting. Uh, but today, uh, the jury returned uh, a verdict of a life sentence. And uh, in Broward County Circuit Court next month, Judge Elizabeth Schur, uh will uh, do the sentencing. And the shooter will spend the rest of his life uh, in the penitentiary uh, up near uh, Gainesville, Florida. So that uh, at least we had a bit of positive uh, come out of that. Um, another uh, trending story that I'm keeping an eye on today uh, is the incoming CEO of Grindr, uh, who is an openly gay uh, previous venture capitalist, and um, he was the founder of Shift, which is a company that you can sell your cars online. His name is George Arson, and he's 44 years old, and he basically uh, put out a bunch of right-wing and trumper-thumper-type tweets, and this is the incoming Grinder CEO, and, of course, this is on the heels of the last CEO of Grindr, uh, Mr. Chen, who... Uh, Scott Chen, who basically said that uh, he was opposed to same-sex marriage and that marriage is between a man and a woman. So as a result right now, the hashtag delete grinder uh, is trending all over the place uh, and with rights. And one last bit of national news. Uh, Today's been a really extremely busy day. Um, The... House committee that is hearing testimony on the events of January the 6th uh, has voted a resolution to compel former President Donald Trump uh, to testify uh, before the committee. Uh, They will issue a subpoena. Simultaneous with that, the U.S. Supreme Court today in Washington also ruled against Trump and his attorneys uh, in the case of the Uh, papers and documents that were taken from Mar-a-Lago. Trump had been asking for a delay in a special master's review. The Justice Department had asked the court uh, to not allow that. A lower appellate court said, no, he doesn't get to do that. The Supreme Court declined to hear it. So basically the movement will now go forward uh, in what's a likely criminal case Uh, against the former president um, for uh, theft of materials and uh, also taking materials that were classified and retaining government records, all of which are illegal. So that's kind of the trending breaking stuff that I've been working on today. 
so so as a synopsis, uh, Donald Trump had two headaches, and a friend of his took over Grinder. Is that kind of the the summation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much is the summation. <laughs> there you go. All right, okay, I like that. Okay, I'll just, go with that. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna leave it right there. So, okay, yeah. we're gonna move on to uh, more exciting stuff. Um, uh, like I said, we have um, uh, super talent as a guest, uh, Simon Curtis. He's got a lot of new work in in the in the works and about in the launch pad actually, um, and we're gonna talk to him about that. So with that, I'd like to welcome to the show. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? Hey, Rob. I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction. Oh. That was that was so very kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, oh my God, you're so impressive, and um, I, you know, I love your music. So, I mean, we could just sit with you musically, and you know, I would just fanboy all over you. But uh, let's, oh. let's let's broaden it out from there. Um, I want to take you back <laughs> to. Um, <laughs> How how you started out? You were um, raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What was that like? Yeah. Being a young young kid, uh, potentially uh, knowing you were gay and in in Oklahoma. You know what's surprising is that Tulsa specifically is it's such an art hub, especially out in the Midwest and in the South. It's, it's a very special place, and I was able, you know, fortunately, I had opportunities to, you know, from a very young age, um, start auditioning for musical theater and opera. They have one of the best opera companies in the country, and I participated in that from the time I was 10 years old. So uh, in terms of my creative pursuits, I was very well served growing up where I did. Um, at the time... It was it was a little rough. It was a it was a totally different era. I mean, I think I think you know the world is changing so rapidly now, and you right. know, to look back at you know what it was like growing up in the '90s and having my you know preteen years in the early 2000s, you know it was everywhere was a, a pretty significantly homophobic place, um, but in the Bible Belt even more so. So it was definitely. It was it was definitely challenging. I I packed up and moved everything to LA when I was 18 as soon as I could pay for my own car and drive. <laughs> so yeah, I was wondering because your book uh, Boy Robot, there's kind of a theme of being tossed out of the house and rejected. Was that any of that based on real experience, or was that just? I mean, not that that anybody who is gay. And to your point, when we grew up you know, that was a common experience. And even if we didn't experience that ourselves, we knew people who were and could have, et cetera. But where did that uh, influence come from in your book? Yeah, that was, that was actually super autobiographical, you know, in a sci-fi novel, um, you know, that was one chunk of it that was pretty um, accurately depicted from my lived experiences. I actually wrote about it on Twitter. I think the day before yesterday was National Coming Out Day, and I posted the day after that I I apologize that I didn't post anything to support the day, but I kind of get triggered occasionally about the about you know seeing the hashtag and, and stuff like that because of how traumatic my coming out experience was. Um, I I was outed 
uh, I, a family member and my parents told me that they wished I died when I had cancer. I am a cancer survivor. Oh, God. Um, and they kicked me out of the house, and I, I didn't have a place to live. Like, I had to sneak in at night for a few weeks after that while staying with friends. And I, I, at that point, I, I booked a plane ticket to L.A. and went to visit friends and just kind of rode out the storm in L.A. And then by the time I came back, it was like a very weird limbo experience. Like my parents tried to act like that didn't happen, but yet they weren't speaking oh. to me. So at that point, it was that was just uh, save as much money as I can at my restaurant job to buy a car and, and move away. So it was, yeah, that was a... Isaac's experience in Boy Robot, you know, kind of getting kicked out and, and everything, even some of the things that were said in that book um, were, were inspired by direct quotes from, from things that were said to me at the time and, and the sort of things that I survived in that moment. Oh my God. That is, that is so, so hard. And, and you are, such a survivor on so many levels and your work has got such an upbeat positivity to it. It's really amazing what you dug down deep and, and expressed even, even going through that. I did want to ask well, you, thank you. you, you did, you were diagnosed with cancer at age 10 and yes. I think immediately yes. went into remission. What talk, talk about that experience that that's been described as the pivotal driving force of your whole life. Um, how, how has that happened? Yeah, I so when I was 10, I was diagnosed with leukemia. At the time, I was given a 50-50 chance of surviving, and I went into a really miraculous remission about two weeks after I was diagnosed. Um, at the time, it was the fastest documented remission for my kind of leukemia, in the country. So that was, it was like this really incredible moment. Um, but I was still really sick. I was on chemo for two and a half years, really heavy chemo. So I was, I was very sick for a, a big portion of my childhood. And it was during that time that I auditioned for my first musical. My music teacher at school gave me a flyer for an audition because the touring production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was coming to town. And she said, I think you should audition for this. And I pulled it out of my backpack later that afternoon in the hospital on the bed getting a blood transfusion oh. and asked if oh my, my mom would call. <laughs> I asked my mom if she would call <laughs> to set up an audition. And she started crying and she said, no, I couldn't do that. And I yelled at her and made her do it. And, um, yeah, and then I wound up, I, I went through this big audition process because it was, it was the first thing that I'd ever done, and it was, it was like the national tour. And so it was this huge audition process, and I got it. And I remember the first moment getting on stage and opening night, and it just, it changed my life. It, it, it was such a source of joy and just life force that it really, it just, it gave me such a will to live and, you know, from rehearsing and dancing and just doing, doing all of those things, you know, I was on such heavy chemotherapy at the time. I was going straight to rehearsals right after school. I was in fifth grade and I would go to school and then go straight to rehearsal till 10 o'clock at night. 
and take breaks to go vomit in the bathroom and run back and keep dancing. And it's it just, it was one of those moments where you kind of like find such purpose that it, it really supersedes everything else and kind of gives you so much more than it takes away physically. So, and, and even at the time, you know, I, I grew up around such darkness that it was kind of like second nature to just focus on the light and to kind of be the eternal optimist that my family never had. <laughs> so right. that was always kind of, that was always just kind of always just my innate perspective on the world. So I think that's, I think that's where it comes from. Well, it's, it's, and it shows through, I mean, like I said, it's like, it really is inspiring to look at your work and what comes through where you have, you know, you have not let it hold you back. And in fact, you've kind of created um, magic and, and, um, you know, extra talents on top of that. Um, one of your, your, your best listened to songs is Superhero, um, which, yes. you know, that, that sounds completely inspired out of your sense of recovery. Um, how did, how did that come about? How did you come up with Superhero? I mean, it, at, at the time I was writing a really angry album and I, there was something else inside of me too that was just kind of like this fighting spirit. And that was, you know, also right before my second album, I had, I had just come out, or I think it was right after, I had just come out publicly. And especially after having been, you know, on Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and at the, the time in my life when I was kind of forced back into the closet as a young actor in, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, an era that was very homophobic, especially for actors. Yeah. And um, so it was, it was kind of a culmination of all of those things that I was feeling. And it was just kind of like, no, this is who I am. And there's, there's superpower in that. And it was just one of those moments where you're kind of just really feeling yourself and then the song comes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, but it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's such an important song, especially for a young person coming out. You know, it's like it's owning yourself and finding your own sense of a superpower. Um, you know, absolutely, and um, absolutely. Plus, plus it's fun to dance to, which, you know, yeah added bonus so yeah um totally and and at the time too so much of my music was so dark at the time that it felt good to write something that was lighter and to write something that that still felt anthemic and strong but that like was from a place of you know uplifting as, as opposed to just expressing anger yeah so i want to ask you about your early jump off into your career you won a couple of really cool things you won popular magazine and johnny wright's get famous contest uh you were named as a national pop finalist in the britney spears samsung superstar contest tour how tell us about that how did you get those oh wow oh you you dug deep on the wikipedia oh man um yeah so that was that was that that was stuff when that was stuff when I was a kid in Tulsa. Like there was, you know, I just I started auditioning for everything, like American Idol, and like I just stuff that I would beg my parents to just drive and you know take me to to, to do stuff. And 
um, you know, those are just kind of things that I, you know, I, I was a, a teenager and I was, you know, just hungry for my start and really, really trying to, to push myself and get myself out there. And, you know, the Britney thing, it was on her Dream Within a Dream tour. It was just like this promotional thing. And, you know, they had different stops. It was in the peak of like the first two years of American Idol. So everything was kind of an American Idol ripoff. So there was this sort of like promotional tour that was like a Britney American Idol and you had to sing a Britney song. And then the winner of it got to be in her next music video. And then the pop star magazine, you know, my, one of my uh, good friends now, Matthew Rettenman, um, he used to be the editor in chief of pop star magazine, which was like a J14 or tiger beat one of those type of magazines and I submitted myself to this contest and I won and I, I got to fly to Orlando and audition for uh, Johnny Wright, who at the time was one of Britney's managers and he was Justin Timberlake's manager. So it was a huge, huge thing because I think I was, I think I was 16 at the time. So it was, that was, you know, those are just kind of like my first formative forays into <laughs> putting myself putting myself out there and yeah um, it, yeah, yeah so funny you're living life in the the most fabulous gayest way possible and I'm, I'm sort of surprised that your parents would even be surprised that you were gay let alone not, believe not me not I said embracing. that to them hey I, I said the same thing to them as they were telling me they were disowning me. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, uh, I, I, I vividly remember throwing up my hands and being like, are you kidding me? Like, are you shocked by this? I've been doing musical theater since I was 10. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I have never said this to a guest before, but I really want to go slap your parents. I mean, they're, they're just, you know what? Just, hey, you know, like I'm, I'm in such a better place now, and and it's it's one of those things where a part of me does feel bad, you know, bringing it up, but it's also something that, you know, I'm proud of surviving that, and I am right. also proud to be somebody who, you know, can show young people that you can continue on to do anything after the darkest things that are, are possible could happen to you. Um, you know, from your parents telling you that they wish you were dead and kicking you out of the house and surviving cancer and, and, and things like that. So I never, I, I never sugarcoat it when it comes to, you know, sharing my story. But, my, God, my parents' story and their journey and everything that they've gone through, it's, I mean, it's tremendous. And it's, it, you know, the, the hardships that they've endured and the abuses that they both have, you know, survived, it's, you know, it's, it's a wonder when people are, you know, able to function much less, you know, not pass down their trauma to their kids, unfortunately. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm proud of my relationship with them now. And, you know, I've, I've had the very fortunate experience to be able to talk to them about all of this. And they've, you know, they've actively sought forgiveness from me for the things that they said and for the things that they did. And, you know, they're in a place where they, you know, they know and love my partner and they accept him as a part of their family without blinking, without trying, you know, without forcing themselves to. Um, and, you know, they themselves, you know, 
they they're very different people than the people who did that to me. That that that's that is really great, and that is an important um, uh, concept that I think we have to put out there. I had the exact same thing. My folks were, um, you know, they did not, they didn't go as far as your folks did. They didn't wish me dead. That, that I did not, I did not endure that, but they were not much more positive. I mean, about yeah. uh, from there either, but they did come to embrace it. And when I had my kids were, you know, um, you know, came to learn that that was okay for a gay dad to have kids and, um, you know, had to take them along and help them evolve. And they did. Um, and they were, yeah. you know, you know, so, I mean, that is, that is a real positive. And I mean, I think it's a tribute to you, both from your art, your music, you know, and how you're living your life is that, I mean, that everything is tracking that way where you're taking really dark things and turning them into really fun, beautiful, wonderful things. So that, well, thank that's you. A, a big kudos. So um, let's go to thank the you. three songs that you're just now releasing. Um, tell us about those yeah. and, and where they, what what inspired them. Yeah, so I have three songs that just came out. Uh, they are going to be included on my new album, which will be coming out next month. Um, but the first song is Ketamine, which is an anthem about removing toxic parasitic people from your life um people who there's a line in the song that says say you want me to party but keep me alone and that's a very uh, <laughs> it's kind of that song in in a nutshell it's it's the realization that people that sometimes you're surrounded by people who don't necessarily wish you the best and it's an anthem for kind of like taking ownership of that and cutting them out and moving on in a very fun, super, super Britney Spears-inspired way. Britney's always my big inspiration and top reference in everything I do musically. So that one is definitely a love letter to Britney and my fellow Britney fans. <laughs> and then I, have, then I have another song uh, called I'm Not Sorry, which is much more like a Euro dance inspired song and the song i mean it, it couldn't be more simple it's 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 such a reclamation of self it's literally saying oh i'm i'm not sorry anymore this is who i am i'm not going to apologize and it's 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 very much that just repeating itself over a dance track and it's exactly what i needed at the time when i made it <laughs> <laughs> and and then I also released the song Fairy Boy, which uh, you mentioned in the introduction, and it is quite possibly the favorite song that my favorite song that I've ever written. It's it it came to me one day. I just started singing it in the car, and it's it's so special. It's I, I think any any queer person or anybody who's ever been persecuted in any way or just kind of ostracized or made to feel alone or victimized for any of their differences. I think it's, that's a song that is for them. It's, it's well, you know, it was a song have... that I. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Oh, I was just saying I just I, I think that's a song that I wrote very specifically for my ten year old self. The little gay boy who was just very afraid and and extremely terrified to just exist in the world. Well, we have that song queued up and if you don't mind we can play it right now so people can experience oh, it for I, themselves. I would love it. That would so, I would love that. So everybody who's listening, um, call up your 10-year-old self um, because this song will definitely speak to that. And if not that, get ready to do some dancing because it's a great song. And here you go. Here is Fairy Boy by Simon Curtis. That's awesome. That's so awesome. 
So well, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, and I actually it was it was great what you were talking about before we played the song too, though, because I just imagined that song being played for a a ten year old, you know, and 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 for a ten year old to be able to hear that, um, and and understand that. So it's like that that is just just really cool, really wonderful. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you. It honestly gets me emotional just to listen to it, you know, even though I'm the one who who wrote it and made it. And it's, 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 anytime I listen back to it, by the end of it, I just get a little choked up. <laughs> you know, that's, that's when it's real. Cause it's like, I write columns, I write columns for the LA Blade and I've written for Huffington Post and different things. And, you know, I know I've hit it right when I read my own column and I start choking up at the end of it. It's like, okay. Now it's yeah. ready for publication. So, yeah, yeah, it's got to be real. So, yeah, there's, exactly. there's probably something a little bit sadistic in that, but anyway, it works. So, well, so what what do you consider your main identity artistically? Do you see yourself as a musician, singer, songwriter? Because um, you're now writing a lot of um, non-musical stuff. Where where where's your passion? I mean, my, my passion, I, I mean, I am a performer and I am a writer. I, you know, I do both and both of those things have just kind of always just been a, a part of me and who and, and what I am. Um, you know, I, I think if, if I had to rank them, I mean, I'm a pop artist first and foremost. Um, you know, I'm, I am also an author and also an actor. So, you know, those are just kind of all different facets of, of who I am and what I do. Okay, primarily, I'm a Pisces, and I live in my imagination. So <laughs> everything that's coming out of me is just kind of a facet of that. <laughs> right. Well, actually, that makes a lot of sense, because uh, I would say, you know, going through all the different aspects of your work, um, imagination is what comes through. I mean, it's like your songs yeah. are imaginative. They're... Um, they're um, I was going to say lyrical, which is sort of an obvious thing for a song to be, but they're, they're fluid in terms of storytelling and, um, you know, and character coming through, um, you know, so, and, you know, as an actor, that, that is uh, also part of it. You're using, you know, your, yourself as a vessel to tell a story, but uh, let's exactly. focus on the other creative work that you have um, about to launch, um, which is yes. a graphic novel. Um, now, forgive yes. me, but I may be old enough that we used to call those comics. Um, well, in, back it in the is day. a long-form comic. Right. So, so, yeah. so, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, the, a, it's a novel told in comic form. Right. Did you do the art with it as well as the book on it? No, that is I. That is one thing that I, I cannot do is draw. <laughs> I am not. I, for for all of my imagination, that is one thing that I was not gifted with was the ability to draw or paint or anything else in, in the way of the visual medium like that. Um, no, I am. I'm working with an incredible illustrator and animator uh, who's based in Seoul, Korea. Uh, her name is Stephanie Sun, and she's. She's one of my favorite artists. I am obsessed with her work. I was a huge fan of hers, you know, just from her work that she posted online before we ever started working together. So when I 
when I got the deal to do the book, she was the first person that I thought of. I suggested her to my publisher and they were able to, to get her for the project. So I'm, I'm really thrilled to be working with her. That's, that's fantastic. What, what, how would you characterize her artistic style? Is she more anime, more, more gothic? What, what, what can we expect to see? There's definitely, I would describe her work as, as very kind of like dream state anime. I am a huge Miyazaki fan who is, I mean, he's just one of the most prolific directors of all time. And, you know, Miyazaki movies are just some of my absolute favorites. And so that was a big goal of mine with this book or a big inspiration. I just wanted something to feel that was almost like a dream or in like this very soothing tone, even though, you know, the book is, full of demons and blood and gore and all of these things. Um, you know, it's still a love letter to LA and it's still, you know, it's still evocative of that, of that really, uh, there's, there's like a dreamlike magic that just exists in LA. Like when you drive up to the hills and you look out over the city, just the way the light falls to the trees here. And there's, there's very specific things that I needed this book to evoke visually and she really, really accomplishes that um, in a very beautiful way. So that is, that's so awesome. That, so let's focus on your part of the book and the storyline. Well, yeah. tell us about the story. I gave a little hint of it, but it kind of stopped in the middle of the the whole synopsis. But tell us then on what happens after Elliot Green discovers that this school's group of outcasts are actually witches. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that is the best jumping place for the synopsis. He is inducted into their coven. They perform an initiation ceremony, and they discover that they accidentally tap into real magic now that Elliot has joined their coven. And inadvertently, they allow a demonic entity to cross into our plane of existence which then starts murdering kids and teachers at their school. And they go on a quest to find out why and how to send it back. Oh, my God. This is – it's like I want to see the movie. It's like I can't wait. This is, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely that's – what, that's what the most amazing thing about writing a graphic novel is it feels like I'm directing a movie. And, you know, my, my first book, Boy Robot, is, you know, a, a novel – and in, this is my first time writing in the comic format and kind of experiencing that process has, has been really fascinating and really thrilling um, because as a writer, it really does feel like you were just storyboarding a TV series or a film. So that, that's, that's been really thrilling. Yeah, I would think so. Would, is the difference, and now I'm going to get into writer geek. We probably shouldn't have gone there because... I can do this, and people are going to go, what the hell are you talking about? But, um, you know, in a, when you're writing a novel, it's very narrative. Um, when writing uh, what I would imagine in terms of the graphic novel, it, it seems like it almost would be like writing a script, where it's very dialogue-driven. Is that, is that the case? It, it, it is. And it's, it's also it's super visual. 
um, which kind of seems redundant to say, but if you're, if you're talking about it from the perspective of a writer, you know, I never knew that people who wrote comics, if you look at one page of a comic, the person who wrote it has described every single thing that you see on the page. From panel one, this is it. Here's the shot. Here's the here are the characters in the shot. Here is the action happening. Here, you know, panel two. Is it, it so very? You don't really know just how visual the writing aspect of creating comic art is until you've written one or until you've read a script for one. So it it is super super visual. And even when writing novels, I've always found that my own writing is very visual and is very cinematic, so it lends itself to that. At, at least my voice as a writer lends itself well to that medium. I, I think that's awesome. That's, that's super cool. Um, so when, when will uh, Witches of Silver Lake be available and how will people find it? Witches of Silver Lake is going to be released, I believe it's March 23rd, 2023, but we are launching in November a really exciting pre-order campaign. We have so much stuff planned for it, but I'm super, super excited. Uh, my first album on vinyl to ever be available will be a part of the Witches pre-order campaign, as well as some like really insane exclusive merch and experiences and, and things that I'm doing along with it. So it's, that, that, will, that will kick off next month. Okay, excellent. And what what music yeah. is going to be on that vinyl? Will that be your current material, or is it is it uh, previously released? It is not previously released, and it is not the new album that Fairy Boy is on. It is an entirely new project. So, oh, we'll wow. be able to talk more about that when it gets closer. But yes, I've been very busy. <laughs> well, you you have been. I mean, you. It seems like your whole um, you know, several decades have been incredibly, incredibly busy, um, <laughs> but which is which is very cool. So, for your existing music, how do people find that and find out more about what's going on, and how do they stay in touch so that um, as yeah. November comes, they know what to find and where? I am at Simon Curtis on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find all of my music available on Spotify, Apple Music, all of the usual channels, iTunes. Excellent, excellent. Um, so I wanted, I, I needed to get a lot of that up, up front so that uh, I, don't, I don't want to leave the housekeeping thing to the end of, you know, quick, quick, how do you find it? So we wanted to put yeah. that out there up front. But um, one thing that I love about you and love about your work is, you know, you are so unabashedly out. You're, you know, you don't shy away from it. In fact, when you released, and this is going back about a decade, um, your EP titled WWW, um, you got some criticism that it was too gay. Um, Talk to us about what your response to that was. I I think I tweeted something like, I don't even remember what I tweeted, but it was just kind of like, yeah, so what? Fuck you. <laughs> which, is just, which is kind of just my response to all of it now. It's just kind of like, are, are we, 
no, this is this is who I am. Fuck you. I'm not apologizing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I ha- I have an exact quote in down here. It says, uh, "Love that oh. I'm getting so much heat for my new album artwork being too gay on National Coming Out Day," and then you added, "With that said, I am gay." <laughs> Like, and there you go. Like, it's, and there you go. <laughs> so, so sit on it. So, you've already told us what you have coming up for November. What, what? I'm sure you've already thought beyond that. What, what is next? Um, is it song, music, writing, acting? What, what uh, is your next step for the coming year after that? I, I have a ton. I, so I. I have, I have basically I have two albums that are ready to come out. Um, the second of which will be coming next year, al- alongside the Witches of Silver Lake when that's published, um, and that's the one that's going to be printed on vinyl, which I'm really excited about. Um, and then beyond that, I have other writing projects, other music. I have I have something that I'm super super excited about that I I, I can't talk about that really fuses books and music for me for the very first time, which I'm really thrilled about. Um, so that's, that's, that secret project is kind of the next, the next big one on my list. That, that's exciting. And I love hearing about the blend. I, I have to tell you, it's like, especially with the plot of witches and the plot of boy robot they sound so filmic. It's like, I'm really hoping somewhere down the line that you get a, you know, a movie deal. Um, yeah. Although your well, life, so the witch would absolutely be a miniseries. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, forget the fiction part, just your real life. But, well, thank you. Yes. So uh, the witches of silver lake is actually being published by legendary of legendary pictures. So they, um, they purchased the film and TV rights along with the book itself. So with that, that's something that we just kind of have to, you know, wait and wait and see, wait and see what happens. So I'm, I'm excited for the the film and TV department over there to get the completed book because they're not taking a look at it until they get the actual finished product. Uh, so got it. They're, yeah. the the movie rights are already the movie rights are already locked down with them, um, which is thrilling. I I you know that's definitely everything that I write. I'm always thinking of it in those terms, you know, just in terms of how I see it in my mind's eye. So that that will definitely be a really exciting uh, moment when, when that does come. Yeah, no, I, and I think it will, it's sort of a, seems like destiny that, that it it should be there. So um, totally. uh, Yeah. So We've jumped around a lot in your career and your past and everything else. Um, what have I not asked you about that, that we should talk about? I mean, I, I think we dove in pretty well. <laughs> I, I, think we, I think we just about covered it. No, it's a, I, I, your, your work is phenomenal. Um, and how, many, how many songs, what is your whole catalog look like at this point you must be up to almost 100 i i mean in terms of song i've been writing songs since i was 16 so in terms of songs that i just have to my name that i've i've written i mean i'm in the hundreds 
realm. Um, some of my earlier music was never actually available on Spotify and iTunes, and that's all coming to iTunes and Apple Music and Spotify later this year as well, these sort of like back catalog releases. Um, so by the, by the time the year is over, I, man, I don't even know. It'll be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be, it'll the fact lot. that you've lost count is, says it all right there. So, yeah. Simon, I want to kind of circle us back to where we started a little bit with, you know, you as a, a 10-year-old boy, um, you know, being diagnosed with cancer, cancer going through your chemo, um, coming out, you know, rejection, everything else. You took all of that, you channeled it through artwork. Now, certainly a young person today, you, you, they have your work they can go to and they can, can get your message on, of hope. But um, just between you and them today, what would you tell a young person who is struggling with who they are? Um, you know, a lot of the trans kids right now are brutally under fire. Um, what, yeah. what are your thoughts and, and words of wisdom um, for those kids today? I think my biggest piece of advice would be to dive into your creativity. Use creativity as a means of expressing things that you might not even be conscious of yourself, things that you're feeling, things that you're experiencing. Getting something that allows you to really connect to the deepest parts of yourself and really identifying the anger, the sadness, the things that hurt in the long term, the longer that you hold onto them inside of yourself, the sooner that you can find things that sort of excavate those out of you, it'll it'll change your life. And you never know where creative expression can lead you. You know, I'm someone who has, you know, now made a career as a musician and as an author and all of these other things, and it's all because I found these means of expressing things inside of myself from a very young age because I needed to do it in order to survive. And if you can tap into those aspects of yourself, it, it will change your life. It liberates you, and it will change your life. And that that is not only perfect, just you know. And I hope people listen to that and and somebody uh, a, a younger person who is trying to find themselves embraces that. But um, listening to your music and dancing to your music, that is what you walk away from. I mean, Fairy Boy was well, certainly a, an example of that. Um, superhero, um, just you know. It, it's it's all there. Um, plus, you have some pretty exciting things. Um, um, the song "Flesh" sounds pretty sensual and um, almost erotic. <laughs> oh, I have I have some slut music. That's a big part of my discography for sure. I that's, a, that's some of my favorite music to make. <laughs> well, that that's got to be there. I mean, let's face it. Who wants to come out and and uh, go into a nunnery. So, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so, exactly. So, so, so I do have to ask you one, 
Um, who is the song I Hate You directed towards? I Hate You was written about uh, – it, it was written about a specific person, but I'm not going to say it because that person I have – since within the past couple of years, um, reconnected with and, and sort of found mutual forgiveness with for the things that we went through together. Um, so it, it was just a, that that was in a moment of early 20s, a relationship dying and not understanding why, and just being really, you know, furious and 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 deeply upset about it. Well, it's, uh, that, that is one thing that I think is really beautiful about you as a person because you go full circle with people and um, you don't stay in the darkness for long. Um, and that, that, that in itself is super, super inspiring. So, um, yeah, for me, I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think there's any value in staying in the darkness. It's, it doesn't, you don't get anywhere there. <laughs> no, and, and, and to, to your point, you, you have, I mean, it's cliche, but to say you've made lemonade out of lemons um, is an understatement. I mean, you, you've got a fountain of creativity going out of some really painful stuff from, from where you started, and that, that in itself is heroic. So, Simon, I'm afraid we're out of time. You are a real pleasure. Everything you do is, is magical, and um, um, I, I really encourage people to – Check out the music. Can't wait for the graphic novel um, and read the book. Um, you know, and and check out. Keep keep following Simon and make sure that you're staying up to great to up to date on everything new that um, comes out. So Simon, thank you for well, for being who you are and thank you for joining us today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Rob. You're you're so lovely. Thank you. Such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, across the board so and that is all the time we have today um i want to thank brody for his work on the los angeles blade um and bringing us up to date um news wise for the city of los angeles and the world you can find it online at losangelesblade.com um i want to thank you for our listeners we will be back again next week and uh we will have another really fascinating wonderful show and as normal I have no idea what it's going to be about, but I can guarantee it will be worth listening to. We promise. And with that, for Rated LGBT Radio, have a great week. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. Radio.